Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider. I also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And I'm Gordon Leppard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. Great to be here today, guys. Yeah, it is. Getting holiday season, getting close. Yeah, it is. We're, we're getting right in there and an exciting time of the year. And, you know, the cold weather's in the air now. Um off and on. So, yeah, we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly radio show, too. We're right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. You can also uh, go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right-hand corner that you can stream us. Um, obviously, catch us on the dial at 1230 a.m. And we also have podcasts out there that are um, linked. And uh, we have, you know, th- basically the whole year. If you've missed, you can go back there and check it out. So easy, easy to get us. No excuse for not listening to the Money Doctors. That's right. Do check us on our website, too, moneymd.net, where you can link to us with your questions. We would love to hear from you. Um, so you can link to us there with emails, or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, guys, we do have a great show lineup for today. Um, you know, we're going to start off talking a little bit about um, selling your house. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, it's right around the corner for most people. If they're going to sell their house, they're going to start kind of in January, gearing up for that. And uh, but the but the game it's a new game today when you're selling your house. You know, with the internet and everything that's going on, conventional wisdom doesn't always hold. So we're going to talk about how to get eight percent or more when you sell your house. Yeah, that's pretty good. These are some great tips. You want to you want to listen to these? Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to follow up with an article about um, women and retirement. And, and guys, there's a gap, um, a gender gap between men and women when you look at retirement. And so we're going to dive into some of the statistics and also some of the things that you can do if you're listening out there to, to change that and, and make a make an improvement in what you're doing going forward. So you want to stick around for that one, and we follow up with some tips. Some tips on tipping. <clears throat> you know, we're right here around the holiday season, and like we said, uh, you know, it's a generous time. And we want to make sure that we take care of the people that take care of us uh, throughout the year and uh, just recognize those opportunities when you're out yeah. uh, to bless someone. Very good. Yeah, that's a great topic because that is a confusing issue for a lot of people. And so it will shed some light on, you know, what the appropriate thing to do is. That's right. So that's terrific. Okay, but we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Social Security office. And, um, guys, Social Security was started back in 1935. President Franklin uh, D. Roosevelt, um, you know, started up the system. It's been a kind of a stalwart of a lot of people's retirement and so forth. But they, they missed a little bit on the, the forecasting. And, obviously, this is a very difficult job for them. But they, they had some financial folks that looked and said that there would be expenditures of about one3 
$3 billion in 1980. Now, they did that back in 1935, so it was a 45-year estimate. They missed it by just a little bit. Instead of $1.3 billion, it was $149 billion of spending uh, of outlays. So it's hard to project things over time. 45 years is a very long time, but nowhere close. Just a little bit off. Wow. Just a little bit off. Wow. That's uh, (laughs) huge. And that's one reason why Social Security is struggling today is people are living longer, uh, you know, so changes need to be made. We keep preaching that and talking about that. Hopefully they'll address that at some point. And folks that can be grandfathered in so that it doesn't affect their planning, but, you know, younger folks, you know, doing planning, you got to make some changes, and this is one of the reasons. It's it's um it's not um, reacting the way they thought it would. Yeah, and that's so typical of government, isn't it? You know, with a government program, they they always uh, dismiss it massively, usually on the yeah, cost side. Just a of few it. billion. And that's the reason why <laughs> yeah. we got to have entitlement reform quickly, because you know these kind of expenses are are bankrupting us uh, in a pretty quick fashion here if they don't get a handle on that, particularly Medicare. Yes, yes. One of the big ones. But that's a great financial fact of the week. Very interesting. Okay, but on a fun, on a better topic, though, John, I mean, <laughs> Sorry. a more fun topic, if you will, um, you know, let's talk about houses. I mean, if you're, if you're one of those people that do move occasionally and you're getting ready to sell your house or maybe it's even, you know, you're three or four years down the road from having to do that, you know, it's a new game today when you're selling your house. It's just not like it used to be in terms of how to to get the best price for your house. And this is an article out of Bottom Line Personal. Um, Stan Humphreys, who's the chief economist at Zillow.com, which is a you know renowned uh, real estate website out there. Um, that's what this comes from. And, you know, the housing market is finally getting back to normal. You know, we're... we're so glad to see that after, mm-hmm. yeah, what, eight years long now? Dip. Long time. Um, this year's sales of existing homes are looking likely to, to match or top the long-term historical average for the first time since the early 2000s. But, you know, the real estate economist Stan Humphreys at Zillow, he says that some of the conventional wisdom about buying and selling a home has changed drastically over recent years. And that's partly because people become much more weary about the future of real estate, you know, in the wake of the 2007 to 2009 housing price meltdown, but also partly because of the growing role of technology, especially the Internet, when it comes to real estate shopping. You know, I mean, people are are doing all their shopping and deciding which houses they're going to look at online nowadays. And they have, they, they have a lot more information readily available to them. They do. They can do a lot more without ever stepping off their couch, you know, so... Um, it's a new 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 game when you're tr- coming to sell your house nowadays. Humphreys has analyzed millions of home listings as well as gathered data from millions of, of monthly visitors to their website, Zillow.com, um, their real estate website. And they've developed some insights that can save you thousands of dollars more when it comes to selling your house, can earn you thousands of dollars more. That's right. You know, I mean, conventional wisdom says that, if you're a seller, you should overprice your home by maybe 5 or 10% to leave yourself some wiggle room in the negotiations. I mean, that makes sense. Um, you should also renovate your kitchen to add the most value to your house. You should list it early in the year to catch the spring and the early summer buying home buying rush. Um, and those old rules were fine in the past, but 
you know, here's what the data says today works better now in the world of Internet shopping and the post-housing recession. So here's rule number one. Yeah, this is a, a really interesting one is price the home as close as possible to the fair market value. About half of all sellers still price their homes too high, and they have to make cuts to attract the potential buyers. I mean, Zillow studied more than a million homes listed for sale and tracked price changes until they sold. And what they found is that homes that required a 10% price cut on average, um, they were on the market uh, about 220 days, and they sold for 2% less than what their estimated value was. And that's because buyers, and they bargain more aggressively when, you know, a listing sits on the market longer. Uh, however, homes that were correctly priced to begin uh, to begin with needed no price cuts to sell. They actually spent t- less time on the market, about 107 days. And best of all, they sold for 2% more than their estimated value. So a little different than most of the, um, you know, recommendations that you hear out there. So, that's uh, you know, and this is data. I mean, it's based on millions of, of sales. So I, it's... Yeah. This is good. That's great stuff. Yeah, then it sold in three months rather than looks like <clears throat> over six months. Mm-hmm. So big difference there. Yeah, and so, you know, what's the best way to determine the fair market value? Well, what they say here is have a real estate agent prepare a market analysis of the recent selling prices of comparable homes in your area to help establish the market value. Also, I mean, Zillow.com, their website, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever used that. It's mm-hmm. a yeah. tremendous um, website. It has a has a just a blevy of information on there um, about prices of, of homes that have sold in your neighborhood, you know, over the past, you know, few years. So that's a great resource to help you figure out what the fair market value for your house is. So that was rule number one. Rule number two here is to make sure that the last non-zero digit in your original asking price is a nine. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. So not no zeros. You want a nine as the last number in the asking price in the non-zero digit of your asking price. So, you know, this is the same kind of psychology that pricing um, in pricing that works in retail stores and it leads to faster, more lucrative sales of homes at really at every price level. I mean, for example, the average U.S. home that was listed initially for 449000 ended up selling for about $4,000 more than a home listed for $450,000. Hmm. So, Go figure. So just listing it ending with a nine, even $1,000 less, ended up causing it to be sold for $4,000 more. Um, and what's more, you know, comparable prices – uh, houses that were priced a thousand dollars lower than their counterparts sold four day four days faster on average. So it sold faster and it sold for more. So consumers are just conditioned to see prices ending in a nine, and and that signifies in their brain that it's an attractive discount. Um, that kind of pricing attracts more attention to your home's listing, which often translates into higher uh, offers as well. So that was rule number two. Rule number three. All right. Rule number three is about, you know, making upgrades uh, that restore, you know, basic functionalities to the house. You know, not not doing stuff that's just frivolous and over out, you know, outlandish. Um, for example, taking and making upgrades to a bathroom from poor to decent shape 
completely changes the livability of the property and the appeal uh, to just about anyone. But if you if you go in there and just totally remodel it and uh, you know add high end elements and fancy massage you know jet head shower shower heads and uh, dramatic tile, that may not be as appealing mm-hmm. to some to some it's potential a lot more buyers too. Oh, it's yeah. a lot more expensive on your part, and you know that might not fit the taste right. that your potential buyer has. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's a great tip, and that leads us to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.com at infomoneymd.net, or you can call us at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to MoneyMD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about how to get 8% more when you sell your house. Um, guys, you know, I mean, that is a big difference. If yeah. you can get 8% more, think about it on a, on a $300,000 house. Smokes a lot. Yeah. That's twenty four thousand dollars. Yeah, these are these are good tips. That's a big number, you know. So yeah, these are really interesting tips too. I mean, they're not just just generalities. Very specific things here. Um, they come from a bottom line personal article here by Stan Humphreys, who's the chief economist at Zillow.com. And um, you know, the first one was to price your house as close as possible to fair market value. Hmm. Which is is not conventional wisdom. Most no, people not. say, you know, yeah, get, put ten, leave ten percent in there so you can negotiate and cut later. They say, nope, not today, because today, you know, everybody's shopping on the internet, and you want to start off with the right price because if you get it too high, they'll just look somewhere else because they're looking at you know <clears throat> dozens of houses, hundreds of houses, maybe on the internet. Um, so that's one problem, and it actually sold for less money. Two uh, percent less yeah. if you if you priced it, and it took ten percent high. It yeah. took longer, yeah. exactly. So that was rule number one. I thought it was interesting. And then rule number two is to make sure that you get the last non-zero digit in your original asking price is a nine. I thought that was interesting. They give this example here: four hundred forty-nine thousand versus four hundred fifty thousand. The four hundred forty-nine thousand dollars house houses sold for four thousand dollars more than if you listed it for four hundred fifty thousand. That's right, marketing psychology yeah. one hundred one. Yeah, that's right, and a little bit quicker too. And yeah. a little bit quicker. That's pretty amazing. Um, <clears throat> and then the next one here that we we just started on was to make modest upgrades to your home that restore the basic functioning of the house instead of making big upgrades. You know, like for instance, I mean. People talk about, you know, we'll remodel the bathrooms and the kitchen, right? Well, that's where you add the most money. Well, I mean, Zillow is saying here that um, you want to be modest about that. If you make big upgrades, put a lot of money into it, not only do you not get your money back on those upgrades, but you also turn some people off because you're getting too exotic. You're getting you're putting in stuff that that they may not want in the first place. Um, so just make it make it functional. Functional. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Functional upgrades. Yeah. In fact, I mean, based on Zillow's analysis here, a three thousand dollar mid range bathroom remodel uh, with things such as 
um, replacing the toilet, you know, updating light fixtures, adding a double sink, painting or putting up wallpaper. That resulted in a $1.71 increase in the home's value for every dollar you spent in the renovation. So that's a pretty good return. Mm-hmm. What, 71% that, there? Yeah. yeah, you got 71% above yeah. what you spent on the renovation. But they said plunking down $12,000 for a complete bathroom overhaul, including replacing the floor and, you know, moving plumbing, that only resulted in $0.87 cents increase for every dollar you spent. So you actually lost 13%. On that one. Yeah, you know, I, I see that mistake being made by a lot of people as they're selling. I'm like, don't put so much money into the house. You, you typically right. don't get it back. Right, right. You got to make it so, functional. So be modest about your increases. So, you know, be smart about how you spend your money in upgrading a home. Do the basic remodeling, not the fancy, expensive remodeling. Potential buyers won't appreciate the upgrades, and they might think that it's, uh, you might think it's very fashionable, but they probably won't, yeah. is the point here. Yeah, and and note, in contrast to conventional wisdom, you know, kitchen renovations have a lower return than many other home improvement type investments with a cost recovery of just 50 cents on the dollar, Hmm. regardless of the scope of the remodeling in the kitchen. Um, The reason is that prospective buyers are very particular about what constitutes their dream kitchen. You know, they're not going to be excited about a kitchen renovation if it doesn't happen to match their needs and their tastes. So... You know, go modest on the kitchen upgrades. I mean, don't put, you know, money into fancy granite countertops tops with lots of movement thinking that everyone is going to be as excited as you are about <laughs> the way that looks. Yeah. You know, maybe just stick to paint and, you know, so maybe some basic flooring or, you know, hardware for your cabinets, but don't get crazy with the uh, kitchen remodeling. Yeah, that that is counter to most most of the time you hear people saying put money in the kitchen and bathroom and so forth. But exactly, it's a good one. Uh, number four here is list your home for sale in late March or later. I mean, a lot of homeowners choose to to list early in the year, maybe late January or February. They do this in order to have plenty of time to catch the spring and the early summer home buying um, rush. But Zillow's data indicates that listing very early in the year has become so popular that you're better off waiting until after the first few weeks of March, maybe even uh, up till April in most markets. So a little different, again, than uh, the conventional wisdom. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, They say here the average U.S. home put on the market in late March, for example, sold for 2% more than the average home listed earlier in the year. Um, The reason appears to be that your house doesn't get lost in a sea of new listings if you list it later on, like in March. Um, and that leads to more attention and potentially more offers. Also, you know, although people may browse the listings earlier, they don't really get serious and geared up for buying until about March or April. And by then, your home has already been on the market for a couple months, and it appears a little bit stale to them. So it's not a new, exciting listing. So you want to you wait, you know. You can't jump the gun on that. you got to be a little bit, you know, cautious about what you list it. Be patient, exactly. So that was a good one. Rule number five here is, you know, write a long, carefully worded listing. Um, although internet, uh, the internet allows home sellers to upload videos and pictures and a lot of photographs of their home, the data shows that homes with written descriptions longer than the median length of fifty to seventy words. In other words, you know, maybe make it a hundred or one hundred fifty words. That routinely sells for more than their asking prices, while homes with shorter written descriptions don't. They say prospective buyers don't, um, well, they want details. 
um, and they want those extra words that give them additional information that makes the home worth seeing in person. However, keep in mind that after the listing reaches about 250 words, the additional link did not seem to help the selling price. That's right. Then it becomes a novel, you know. And <laughs> exactly. So they're, not, they're not there to read a novel. And, you know, there are some words when you're writing that piece that you really want to kind of avoid. Yeah. You know, and, and it gives it connotations of being small or, you know, not really that special or that it might need uh, work. And these words might include, uh, include cute, charming, Potential needs TLC. You know, this, that sounds kind of like a, a house that needs flipping. Yeah. You know, so, so those words you don't use. That's right. Don't because use you see that word charming a lot of times. And, you, know, you do, and you, you have you to be think. careful. And it, that's a totally another, that's a different article, you know, about uh, trying to sell homes more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, these type of words, they tend to turn buyers off. And they can actually reduce the selling price as much as 2 to 7% you know, from your asking price. So, you know, let let buyers make up their own mind about, you know, the different attributes of your home. Yeah, that's a great point. Words not to use. Now, on the positive side... Um, but there are some words that you do want to use. There are some words you definitely <laughs> want to use, you know. And so here's one you definitely want to use if it fits, and that is, they say here, lower-priced homes described in the listing as luxurious they beat their original asking prices by 8% on average. Hmm. So how cool is that? Using <clears throat> words using words like impeccable, they beat their asking prices by 6%. In the more expensive homes, listings with the word captivating boosted sale prices by 6.5% on average. And the word gentle, <laughs> typically referring to the property description such as gentle rolling hills, was worth an additional 2.3% Can you on believe average. That? Isn't yeah. that crazy? Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> All right. And words such as remodeled pushed up the selling price of homes in, in every price range, an average of 1.7% to 2.9%, and landscaped. Um, by 1.5% to 4.2%. Obviously, you have to have something backing that up when they go sure. see it. <laughs> you can't just use words. You, you know, the you, pictures got to kind of yeah, back that up. That's right. So. You got, they got to be some correlation there. But, you know, but I mean, if you can make parts of your home luxurious and just use those words in the listing, yeah. hey, I think you got something there. And make sure you, you tie know? that picture to the luxurious yeah. part of your house. That's exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. So, I mean, just to kind of wrap this up, you know, of course, the conventional wisdom about curb appeal and first impressions still applies. You know, you, you certainly want the house to look great from the road. You'll want a fresh coat of paint on almost everything. Um, but beyond those old rules of selling your house... You want to be smarter about how you list your home and where you spend your fix-up dollars, you know. So if you follow these rules, you may easily improve your, your, your selling price by 8% or more and get that mortgage off your books in only a few weeks instead of several months that most homes typically take. So, you know, I, I think these are some pretty powerful tips here. Um, yeah, I think the key word in there is paint. Paint. Gives it a fresh smell. Exactly. You know, it's, it's really fairly inexpensive. So Yeah, that's the, kind of the obvious thing. <laughs> but great, great article. That was a good article. Yeah, good tips. Okay, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages and GMA news. Stay with us.
Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are going to lead off our second segment here um, with the question of the week. Yeah, unfortunately, we bought our um, crystal ball with us today, guys. We um, we can see into the future a little bit, so that'll help us answer this question. And the question is: is what is your prediction for the markets um, for next year? Oh wow, I'm glad your <laughs> so crystal ball is so clear about shaking that. Shaking it up here and it's John. looking, and there's a 50 percent chance of it being up. Or fifty percent chance of it being down. So oh, that's, that's pretty good. Well, I hope that's, the odds are a little better than that. Statistically, the market has been up about good point about three quarters of the time. Yeah, yeah, about seventy percent of the time. But uh, you know, uh, this time of the year, um, there are always these organizations and institutions which come out and give their market projections and so forth. And I don't think I've ever seen a an institution say it's going to be negative the next year. I think most of them are optimistic and they give some reasons. Now maybe that's tempered based on the you know the previous year or so forth. But I mean, no one knows um the answer is no one knows if it's going to be up or down the key is is having that plan we keep talking about the retirement plan um making sure you're diversified and and most plans and diversification can weather some storms um you know through that process but trying to predict the market is like um saying who's going to be in the college football playoff next year i mean no one knows i mean you can guess but yeah but you know i am pretty confident the market's going to be up over the next 10 years yes that's a that's a great point i'm very confident of that i mean it's not a hundred percent but but, you know, we've had almost, we've only had maybe maybe two 10-year periods over the last 80 years that yeah. the market has not gained. My son was in, investing some money in his little account this last week. He's like, Dad, is now a good time to invest? I'm like, son, I, I can't answer, you know, ne- what next year is going to look like. But I said, when you retire in 40 years, do you think it, this is a good time to invest? And he's like, <laughs> absolutely. Yes, it is. So exactly. There's the answer. Exactly. How old is so, Matthew again? He's uh, 18. See, that's awesome. Yeah. He's, I mean, the odds, yeah, that is awesome. The odds of the stock market beating fixed income are 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 dramatic yeah. over the next, you know, 10 years or more. So the fact is, don't worry about next year. I mean, that's really the fact. It's just don't worry about it. I mean, your, your retirement plan, you have more than a one-year time horizon. Sure. Even if you're already retired, you're not planning to draw it all out, most likely. You're planning to just take some to live off of. Yeah, and have, so, a, have a conservative piece of your of your assets as well. So if it exactly. does go down, you can pull it off of that. Exactly. Personally, I'm a little optimistic <clears throat> about next year. But, you know, again, nobody really knows. Sure. So, yeah, have a long-term perspective and don't worry about it. There you go. All right. Good question of the week. Okay. And that leads us up to our next topic here, and that is how women can narrow the retirement savings gender gap. Um, yeah, apparently there is a gap here, John. Isn't mm-hmm. there? Yeah. You know, this comes from uh, Marketing Pro. It's a service that we subscribe to. And uh, good, succinct information. We, we really like um, some of the information that comes out. And, you know, like you said, Steve, when it comes to retirement saving, many women do lag behind men. I mean, Statistically, that's what that's what it shows, and historically, that has been the case. the The, the recent edition of the Financial uh, Finesse uh, Annual Survey, the Gender Gap in Financial Literacy, that's what it was called. It offers more evidence of this problem, along with a couple of encouraging signs that that women are, are looking and and uh, spending more time on it uh, as well. So, um, you know, deep in that report, there are some disturbing statistics that begin to emerge, and you know, they concern the pace of retirement savings in mid career. And this data came from Vanguard and the Employee Benefit Research Institute. But Financial Finesse found that the median IRA um, for a 45-year-old woman was about 43000 
whereas their counterpart, a 45-year-old man, was about 64,000, so about 50% higher for men than it was women. And, um, you know, that's it's been kind of consistent over time as you see that. Uh, and so there's some other stats that come out that we ought to look at as well. Yeah, I mean, that is a significant gap, no kidding. Um, but regardless, I mean, you can't retire on that. You know, neither, neither one, one of those numbers right. are, are big enough. So, you know, the financial uh, <clears throat> uh, finesse here, you know, <laughs> then gauge the additional amount of savings that the medium 45-year-old employee and the medium 55, uh, 45-year-old female employee and male employee um, would need to replace the 70% pre-retirement income, which is kind of one of the rules of thumb that, you know, most uh, retirement calculators use, and then pay for the estimated medical expenses as well. And it found that there was a 26% disparity. Um, the median male employee saver needed 212000 to reach that goal, while the median female employee needed 268000 mm-hmm. to reach that goal. Yeah. So. A female employee needed more is the bottom line. Yeah, and there is a, a gap in some financial literacy as well. Just 67% of pre-retiree re, women responded that they had a general knowledge of investment classes compared to 84% of their male peers. Um, 78% of men uh, said they had an emergency fund. Only 67% of women did. And uh, 34% of women were confident about the way their portfolios were allocated versus 48% of men. So, you know, there's some stats here that are showing that women, um, you know, are not as comfortable and don't have as much information or knowledge about some of the investing things. And I think that plays into the IRA balances um, being lower as well. Um, You know, also, uh, you know, many women hope to continue to work into their 70s. But that may not happen, guys. We see this stat time and time again. Early in this decade, MetLife studied um, leading-edge baby boomers born uh, in, in 1946 as they turned 66 in 2012, and it found that about half of them had already retired and 43% had claimed Social Security earlier than anticipated. So, again, you know, a lot of women are saying, hey, I'm going to work longer to make up that gap. In reality, they're not. Either they're laid off or they have health reasons. Yeah, not able right. to. I right. think health reasons is the biggest issue that yep. most people have and reason why they don't work work as long as they want to. That's right. And, you know, there are a few positive steps that we can take here. And the first one is really taking a look at where they, uh, you know, at where you stand now. Uh, Ladies should really take it a little bit of time, see where their savings are now, and and really assess that. A simple retirement planning calculator, um, there's a ton of those online. They're very easy to find, and most of them are pretty user-friendly. They can help you see uh, how much more you need to save per year and over the course of your career, it can yeah can really help out. And obviously, the money doctors would be happy to help out with that as well. If you needed help and you're listening out there, another thing you, you you can you need to do is get the match. I mean, if your employer will match a percentage of your retirement plan contributions, you got to get that match. It's free money. You can't dismiss that. It's so important. A lot of people leave that on the table. So make sure you're getting your match. Uh, also, ask about automatic escalation. I like this. You know, some workplace retirement plans they have this option, and you can boost your retirement contributions by 1% a year. So this is a nice kind of autopilot way to promote a larger retirement nest egg. 1% is probably not going to make you know that big of a difference on your paycheck, but it'll help you out tremendously long term. So the auto, auto escalation is another step. 
Yeah, another thing you can do is you can ask for a raise. You know, I mean, maybe maybe you should pay be paid more than you're currently being paid. Uh, but I want to say, not our employees, by the way. They're <laughs> listening. Yeah, they're they're we're very generous. They realize that. Um, but yeah, I mean, a higher salary means more money that you can put toward your saving effort. Um, you know, pay off your credit card debts too. You know, I mean, you need to get those paid off, just as Dave Ramsey always says. I mean. And get that totally behind you so you can give yourself more money to save. I mean, do a budget, re, you know, retirement plan. I mean, to get ahead, yeah. you got to do all these things. Go ask for a raise. I like that one. Yeah. You know, take control yeah. of it. That, that sure. is important. Another one here on the list is make tax efficiency one of your goals. You may need to consult a financial professional on this. I mean, there's some different ways of saving. You know, if you save in the 401K, that helps you taxes today, but you're going to have tax, you know, a tax bill in the future. There are Roth accounts um, that's after-tax money today, but that will grow, and everything that you use out of a Roth will have no taxes on it in the future as well. So you want to make sure that you you look at taxes. Uh, that's an important piece of your retirement and your income, and there's a couple of different accounts and different ways to save on that. That's right. One way that you can do that is uh, determine an appropriate glide path. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as age-based approach uh, through certain portfolios. You know, many financial professionals uh, caution retirement savers to gradually reduce the risk in their portfolios over time. And, you know, sometimes that's referred to as gliding it now, uh, where you have more equities the younger you are and the closer you get to retirement, uh, you move more toward a a bond-focused type uh, mix. Um, Some retirement plan accounts will actually adjust this and do it for you over the course of time, and that's what some of these age-based uh, programs do. Um, glide paths are different for everyone, however. You know, that's really like we talk to people about understanding their needs, understanding their risk tolerance, uh, where they are in the process, and uh, knowing what their goals are. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's extremely important. Anytime you're, you're looking at any kind of glide path or customized path, it, that really doesn't matter. So, you know. Yeah, there, and there are some a couple of positive things that, that came out of this survey. Um, Four point two percent more people, uh, more women were um, felt like they were on track for meeting their savings goals. Four point two percent had investment strategies. So there were some positive things, but you know I think education is is great. Dave Ramsey's a great resource. Listening to the Money Doctors, we feel like we provide good good common sense solutions to you out there as well. Clark Howard, Susie Orman, just go do research, read books, listen, and so forth, and um, it'll get you kind of moving in the right direction. That and just get in the game. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Stay focused. Make it a priority. Exactly. All right. Great topic. And that leads us up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call during regular business hours at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are um, starting a new topic here, but before we do, we have the prescription of the week. Yeah, we do. And, you know, we led off the show with the financial fact, talking about Social Security and how there's some changes that need to be made. Well, guess what? They made some changes to the Social Security, big change to the file and suspend. 
Um, and a lot of people are having questions about that. Um, and so there's some good websites out there. You know, we have some tools that we use for our clients to help them determine and plan and so forth. But there's some other websites that you need to be looking at and you need to be checking out for your own personal situation. Yeah, one of them is consumerfinance.gov. Um, you know, they have a retirement section there, and they have a part there about before you claim, mm-hmm. you know, some of the things you need to consider. And, and they can help you figure out on that website when to take retirement. What's the most optimum time for your situation? Yeah, and on that website, you basically key in your date of birth and your some earn, some um, uh, earnings history, just some general information, nothing nothing personal like Social Security. And it'll give you some options and some some thoughts about different ages between you know spouses and so forth so you just key some data in and it'll give you some ideas well that and then you can also go to ssa.gov and that's the actual social security administration site and they give you a lot of a lot of details about any of these changes that might be made and really you know the technicalities the uh, that support these different changes. This is another good yeah, resource. It also give you your earnings record as well, so you right. can see what you, I mean, you actually get your statement out there now. Yeah, you have, to, you have to create a login, mm-hmm. right, and you create an account there, an account. and you can log right. in and get your benefit statement. That's right. And that will tell you exactly what your benefit's going to be, you know, based on the current estimates at age 62 and age 67, whatever full retirement age is. And that's the base. You've got to have that before you start mm-hmm. with anything else. Yeah, that's right. So go there first. And they typically they haven't been sending those out. I think they may have restarted, but they went for three or four or five years without sending them out, and that was the only place you could get it is the right. SSA.gov. Right. At so, the website. Yeah. And they still don't send them out unless you're over a certain age, and I don't know what that is. 55, I think. it might, might I'm not be. getting them, so. I'm not getting them either. So there you go. It's older than I am. <laughs> that's old. All right, good. That's ancient. It's ancient. Great prescription of the week. All right, and that leads up to our last topic here. And that is tips on holiday tipping. You know, I mean, it is that time of the year, guys. And, um, you know, during the holidays, I mean, there are certain people that you want to to recognize their service to you, you know, particularly um, folks that may help you out, you know, in certain ways. Um, even the mail carrier, for that instance. So, yeah, I mean, this is a great topic. That's right. Tis the season, you know, um, forgiving. But it can also be, you know, a season that's unforgiving when it comes to tipping services uh, to workers on whom you depend. So, you know, these are some good tips and things to really consider as we go throughout this time. And, you know, uh, so, some good stuff throughout this article. It was uh, found at bankrate.com by uh, Donna Garrett-White, and um, she, she's got some good tips in here for us, Steve. Yeah, she really does. She does. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the seasonal angst about holiday giving, uh, for those of you people who help you, you know, all the years, I mean, centers really on two major questions, you know, how much cheer should you spread around and to whom should you give it, right? I mean, the rituals of holiday tipping, which are complicated enough the rest of the year, are particularly complex during this Christmas season. So, yeah, I mean, this is a good, good, good topic. You know, many people might consider a holiday bonus uh, for their lawn uh, man a no-brainer, for example, or, you know, John, how much uh, would you tip your your manicure? Zero, person? huh? No. Okay. Look, I mean, look at my nails. <laughs> oh, they look horrible. No <laughs> wonder. I would. Yeah. I don't blame you. I wouldn't give them anything either. Hey, what what about this? And what about your barber? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do actually. I do tip yeah. my barber, but there they, you are. Well, she's pretty good to I us. I mean, look at my hair. I mean, come on. You know? I just avoid getting a haircut during holidays. during the holiday season. <laughs> way, you kind of put that off. Them. Yeah. No. All right. And and then there's the holiday minefield of people who help uh, with your kids. You know, your babysitters, coaches, teachers, bus drivers, 
Do you really want them to remember you for your elf-like generosity or your Grinch grin? How about the financial planner? Don't they think that'll give a tip? <laughs> <laughs> we give out tips. I was going to say, we might get some cookies or something. We give out help. tips rather than receive them. That's okay. right. I understand. That's right. So relax here. I mean, experts say there's no need to melt down. You know, your silver bells or, or pawn your five golden rings to fund this holiday gift giving. Uh, I mean, you can give wonderful and, and wonderfully affordable presents that the receiver and your budget will, will love, and it'll fit into that. So the goal really here is just showing some appreciation. You know, after all, it's not keeping up with the clauses. Um, you know, says Lizzie Post, who is the great, great granddaughter of etiquette maven Emily Post. And uh, she runs the Emily Post Institute. Um, good website, emilypost.com. I may check that out. A lot of good information yeah. there just about, you know, common courtesy yep. and etiquette, uh, something that um, has tend to be lost at times, mm-hmm. you know, in our society. But Lizzie reminds us that they really are the people who constantly help us throughout the year. And it's and it's important to thank them and to show our appreciation. And like you said, John, it's, it's really about the appreciation here. Yeah, so the first step here is to get organized, you know, make a list of all the potential recipients that you have in your life um, who um, do help you, you know, uh, throughout the year. Um, So if you're feeling Santa-ish, you know, check it twice and then be thoughtful and be economic, but economical, of course. So you got to have it in your budget. Um, but then, you know, figure out what stopping, stocking stuffers you're going right. to make, make all people to help you. Make sure it fits in the budget and in the stocking, right, Steve? Exactly. You know, one, one way to save uh, is is to have your kids make gifts uh, for their teachers or coaches or some of the different people, you know, that we were talking about. It may not look like it came, you know, from Santa's workshop, but they often mean a lot more uh, to the recipient when they, when they do get them. Uh, I taught for a year whenever I first came out of college and some of the most memorable gifts and mementos uh, that I received were the ones that my students actually made themselves or they took the time uh, to write their thoughts and their feelings in a card. I still actually have a couple of these notes uh, from over 15 years ago. So, you know, encourage your kids to take that time, give it a personal touch. Uh, it really goes a long ways. Yeah, that's good advice. And if it's a teacher or daycare provider has been especially nurturing, um, you may feel like giving them a special gift. But if you do, I mean, have your child, you know, deliver it in a, you know, to them privately um, to avoid a comparison to maybe what other kids uh, brought or didn't bring. Yeah, that is a good point. And uh, another consideration along those same lines, Steve, is that don't ask other parents to to go in or contribute necessarily on say a joint gift because you may or may not know who might have the extra cash to kind of chip in there and you i guess you really don't want to put somebody in a sure you know uncomfortable situation actually there. i don't think that's such a i mean i think it's okay to go in jointly because you know a lot of people i don't know you can get something more meaningful you know i mean like a class giving their teacher and they all chip in or something i don't know i just well, you can ask if someone doesn't participate yeah. that's okay i mean yeah and i, I mean not. don't make it feel i guess <laughs> like an obligation right right i, I guess right. that's the right. point right. Of yeah it, it's got to be it's got to be kind of open optional there. hey if you'd like to chip in yeah that'd be a good point yeah how about uh people to help run your life pet groomers hairdressers personal trainers pool cleaners i mean the list goes on and on i mean first estimate the value of one visit um advises post then give cash or cash equivalent up to that amount. Um, maybe a weekly housekeeper would get up to a day's pay. Uh, a live-in maid maybe should get a week. So, 
you know, you got to look at, at the, the value of their service and so forth. And, and baked goods are perfectly acceptable. Um, you know, you should maybe check on food allergies before you send someone some food. Uh, might even consider giving some baklava. Wow, baklava. You like that, huh? I, I, I actually had a bad experience um, with baklava one holiday. It was about eight years ago. <laughs> I. I, it was actually self-induced. I ate way too self-induced much. Self-induced baklava coma. Uh, and I almost fell into a baklava coma. Is that like a honey-dipped? It's like a honey-saturated pastry. Yeah. pastry. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I know what you're and talking it about. so good, or it used to be so good. It used to be. I, you know, I think since then I probably only had one or two pieces. So, uh, yeah, be careful with <laughs> the baklava. Out. Yeah, can't overdo it unless it's chocolate. That's right. Yeah. Uh, finally, you know, if, if you really can't afford anything, uh, send a card. You know, uh, no need to tip the the mail carrier necessarily when he picks it up. Federal regulations actually prohibit them from accepting money. Hmm. So, uh, you know, be very very conscious of that. However, they they may receive presents or gift cards worth less than twenty dollars. So threshold. Yeah. You know, so there is definitely a threshold there. Yeah, and it may bring you comfort to know that, you know, there is scientific evidence that spreading the holiday spirit does make us happier, you know? Well, the Grinch was much happier after he, you know, stopped being Grinchy. That's true. He was. His heart that? like three sizes. That's right. Three sizes bigger that yeah. day. That was that's <laughs> little good. Lucy Lou or whatever <laughs> yeah. her name was. And no, I mean, we're not referring to the magical makeovers of the, the Grinch and Ebenezer Screws, but... You know, if we take the time to look around, we can easily find ways to show our appreciation and our love for those who, um, you know, help us throughout the year. And in return, you know, that increases our own holiday cheer. So do go out and uh, help people. And I think the rule of thumb that you mentioned was maybe one service, mm-hmm. one one visit's worth of of a for gift. Tip, yeah. That and, you know, something that we might touch on later in, a, in another um radio show is just the, the charity giving too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well that's been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from nine to ten AM to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net or give us a call seven oh six seven three nine zero seven two five. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Have a good one. Ladies and gentlemen Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. See you.